All right, it's good to turn around and, and see faces out here. My name is Chad Puckett. I'm one of the pastors that gets to serve here in Yukon, and it is a joy even to just step into this moment immediately following baby dedication it, 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 after Mother's Day and baby dedication, and then we just get to, to have moments like this. We are starting, we're early in a walkthrough of the Gospel of Mark. And if this is your first week with us here, we're really glad that you're a part. Uh, they're all online. You can go back and hear what we've gone through at this point. But, but we're just kind of taking a long look at Jesus. And, and I say that intentionally that it's easy to get distracted by things. It's easy to get distracted by these stories. And particularly on days like this where we talk about these healings. What we're not doing is having a theology conversation of healing specifically. What I, I hope that we do through this time is actually just take a long look at Jesus and then respond to that. And so I hope that you'll pray for me. I want to pray for you, and we'll jump right into it. Jesus, we need you. Thank you for allowing us to gather. Thank you for uh, what we get to do in this time that we, we sing, we do this. I pray that it would be more than just some religious experience. I, I, I pray that it would be more than just us sitting up straight for an amount of time and, and trying to uh, do and perform actions to feel good about ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet us in this moment right now, that you would stir things in us, that you would, you would draw us to yourself, and maybe even for the first time, that we would uh, put our hope and our faith in you, Jesus. We want to believe, we do believe in, in different ways, and God help all the areas of our life in, in which we're full of unbelief. Meet us right now, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, this is uh, an account of Jesus. So this, the whole book of Mark is this account of what he's done. And, and over the last few weeks, we've looked at some of this. Last week in particular is this look at Jesus's claim to authority. The Bible makes it crystal clear that Jesus isn't just a good example. He isn't just a nice guy who came for us to, to have a, a, a cleaner or healthier way of living. Jesus is claiming authority of a king the king of kings. He's, a, he's claiming the authority of God on this earth. And, and that's either true or it is not true. There's no way around that. And, we, and so we're looking at this. And what we saw is that Jesus has authority. Demonstrated in last week, but through the rest of this book, Jesus has authority not just over unclean spirits, which we looked at last week, but he has authority over disease and sickness. He has authority over nature and the winds and the wave. He has authority over animals. He has authority over all of cosmos. Jesus has authority. The only thing, the only thing throughout all of Scripture that argues with the authority of Jesus are people. It's only people. <laughs> Even the unclean spirits that we read last week did not argue with the authority of Jesus. So we see that, and we, we start to pull these threads that we see. When you, when you read the account of Jesus, you say, this is either true or it is not true. And, and what we want to do is just take this look at it. Again, 
We don't want to just kind of uh, go and approach this the way that we approach a lot of things. I, I, we, I was joking about a yearbook. We, we read a yearbook where we go right to finding our picture on every page. And too often, that's how all of us read the Bible. We just are like, where is this for me? What is going on in this passage for me? And, and there's something there, but we have to look first at what does this tell us about God and specifically about Jesus. And so that's why we're taking this long walk And that's why we're looking into it. It's really important because in this, what we see is that this Jesus, when we actually look at at who he is and we don't just go to the caricature, we see that Jesus is actually full of surprises. And I don't mean that in the way of like, oh, boo, jumped out at you, surprise, or, or like, oh, happy birthday, surprise party type of thing. That's not what we're saying. Jesus is actually full of surprises in that he exceeds expectations again and again. He goes past all that they were expecting. He zigs when they were expecting him to zag. When everyone thought he was going this way, Jesus ends up this way. And and that's something very true in this passage. And and maybe the question that all of us have to ask that comes up naturally uh, in, in the conversation is, like, why does it even matter that Jesus is full of surprises? How does that affect me today? Like, I'm, I'm just trying to get by this morning. I'm just trying to, to be a decent dude. I'm just trying to survive or whatever. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever you're coming into, like, the question is, like, why does this even matter? And, and so let me kind of reframe that a little bit. What if this Jesus doesn't want your polished and... and in perfect version of yourself? What if Jesus is not interested in all the ways that you puff yourself up and try to present like the ideal version of yourself? What if Jesus is actually uh, more interested and more receptive in running to you in your brokenness, in all the areas in which you feel shame and guilt, and like, this is the explicit version of me. This is the, the version that I'm not even comfortable naming to my spouse or to those around me. This is the broken and busted up me. What if Jesus actually meets us in that moment and doesn't just leave us there, but brings life and healing and hope. And that's why it matters because each one of us, each one of us goes to different things. We go in different directions, but each one of us is trying to to find hope. And they're all different ways. So what uh, almost all in our culture at some point or another have done or are doing even right now is we try to be either uh, do good things, the, the good things, or, or, and avoid the bad things. And hopefully in the end, that's going to weigh out and, and be better on the good things side. And, and, and you could be uh, in church all the time and still kind of trying to do that. It, it isn't walking in faith. It's actually walking in works and it's deceptive and, and it's actually not receiving and walking with Jesus. But a lot of us do that. We know this. We know that we're trying to, to have our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds and get there. Sometimes, sometimes we f- try to find our hope in our family and what they've done in the past or what they're doing even right now. Like our family gives us hope and legacy. And there's nothing wrong with family or legacy. But that actually doesn't give us hope. 
You, there's all sorts of things. We could go down the list of uh, your bank account. We hope that our bank account has enough things or, or our retirement account. We live in America, and so you've got to think about that too. And, and like we're thinking about these things, and, and maybe that will give me hope. Even, listen, I mean this with all sincerity. I have friends and family who are agnostic and atheists. I have friends and family who are, are finding their hope, doing their best to find their hope in an explanation of how this world is and operates. And I love them. I love these people. We disagree on, on this because I would say that it, it doesn't actually offer, a, offer hope in the areas where we need it most. Because the problem isn't how did this world begin or end or, or where did these molecules come from. The problem is actually internal and in that we have a guilt that we carry around. And all of us do this. All of us find these things. The claim of the Bible, the central claim of the Bible is that there is a king and he changes everything. And this king has authority, and his mercy cannot be earned by your good or your bad, by your family and your legacy, by your money or your accounts, or by any other explanation this world has to offer. That this king's mercy cannot be earned in those things. And yet the zig in all of this, where, where Jesus goes left when all of us expect right, is this king actually comes and offers his love. Shocking. It's surprising in every way. And so this morning, what I want to do is actually take this large section of Scripture. We pick it up in chapter 1, verse 29, and it goes through this rapid-fire account of healings and God, Jesus, stepping into these different areas. It has him traveling around a region. It has him all over the place and so many things happening that it ends up just giving a shorthand on some of it. I want us to go through that in a bird's eye view and then slow down at the beginning of chapter two to, to really see where these kind of four takeaways, four things that all of us have to deal with come into play. We'll kind of pull the threads when we get to chapter two, and we'll see these things and say, man, these are things, whether you believe or not, you just have to deal with. All of us have to deal with. And so let's jump in right away. At the beginning, or at chapter, verse 29 of chapter one, you get this account, and, and just as we, as we start this, I want you to know that the details in these stories matter. We spent a lot of time on that last week. The details matter because we have a, a detail-specific God. He isn't just leaving this to chance. In fact, in God's sovereignty, we know that it isn't chance. It's God at work in this. And the details here matter. The timeline actually matters as well. And, and so Mark moves things around, and, and some of the accounts from the other Gospels are in different orders. But the, the timeline here matters, and we'll see it when we start talking about sunset and, and Sabbath. You see it. But here you go. We jump in, and it says this. This is immediately after leaving the synagogue. Mark 1, verse 29. So last week we were in the synagogue and, and the unclean spirits are in this man. And, and immediately upon leaving this place, it picks up in, in this account. Immediately after that, they leave and then they go, it tells us something, that they go to the home of Peter with his mother-in-law. 
And, and that's interesting for us. That's, that's a detail that we need to catch because it's easy to just run through Peter and have this kind of like painting of Peter in our head. We, we know all sorts of good and things, bad things about Peter. But maybe we forgot when we were talking a couple weeks ago about the disciples following. When Peter jumped out of a boat, he was making a decision not just for him, but for his family. And it cost him something. We, we learn here that Peter has a mother-in-law, which means he has a, uh, has a wife, and, and maybe he has kids, and following Jesus is costly in this. Right here, they end up with Peter's mother-in-law in verse 30, and, and she's sick, has a fever, and Jesus is brought to her. And again, it would be, we could get into the details and all of these stories are worth studying and looking at, but I want to move through and just keep our gaze on Jesus. It tells us just right after this in verse 32, that evening, that evening, something happens. That evening, and it gives these details in here. It was sunset, right around sunset, just after sunset. And that matters for us because if the account before was them in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and then that, that evening, they're out, and people are filing out to meet Jesus. On the Sabbath was a day of rest, and everybody is stopping, and, and, and they're trying to say, God, what are you doing? The Sabbath ends at sundown, and the people flock out to find Jesus. The word has spread. Everything is going around here. And the word has spread around it of, of this guy. And it is right here in this moment. It's interesting to me, too, that like this work of the kingdom is taking, taking place in the everyday places and spaces of Capernaum. It's happening on the street. It's happening in the homes. It isn't just happening in the synagogue. It is happening after sunset, after the Sabbath, and Jesus is bringing the kingdom to all the places out here. He is, he is literally going. It goes on in verse 34, it tells us that he healed many. It just even gives shorthand. It says he healed many people. There, are, there were folks going through all different things, casting out demons, various diseases. And Jesus is healing people left and right. And then we get this turn. Jesus, full of surprises, healing many on the street, in the synagogue, out, uh, and just moving through Capernaum and the, the area around, it tells us that Jesus got up early and he departed from them. Like just kind of put yourself in this for just a second and just see this with your head. If you're, if you're making the movie of this, you're like, the crowds are here. The momentum is behind him. This is the moment where you hit the gas, Jesus, and you go right after it. And everyone is going to follow you. Everybody is going to be there. And Jesus, full of surprises, actually gets up early. He steps back and he departs from them. And what does he do? He goes and he is alone with God, and he prays. I read commentator this week, and one of the things was like, like Jesus knew that we needed to do the same thing, so he gives us this picture of it. I don't think for a second that this is some sort of acted out parable that Jesus gave us. We see it again and again and again. Jesus, just like us, stops and centers himself, communes with God, and says, God, 
you are the only thing that matters. The, the people, the voices, everything else, it doesn't, none of that matters. He's rising early. He's getting out. He tells us in verse 39, he's going throughout the region. He's going all around this, this Sea of Galilee, which is really a big lake. He's going around all this to all the different uh, small towns around and this whole thing. He's going throughout the, the region. And the question is why? Why is he going to all these places? And yet he told us, he tells us that very thing, verse 38. And he said to them, let let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that, that is why I came out. You see, it's easy to get distracted right here because we have healing after healing after miraculous event after miraculous event. And it would be easy to stop and think, well, he's here to heal everybody everywhere. And he actually turns and surprises us and says, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to tell people about the kingdom of God and that it has come. It moves on in verse 41. He gives, a, a, there's this other account, this shocking story of a leper. We could spend weeks sitting and unpacking this and trying to look at it from different angles. We're just going to glance over it. And I encourage you this week to, to just sit and think about this story. Uh, but here is this leper who comes towards Jesus. And, and what would you expect? Like, what would people do? Here is this communicable disease. Here's this happening. It's like, move back, put your mask on, step away. Don't make contact with this person. And Jesus surprises and does the opposite. You see, leprosy is such a nasty, nasty thing. It's so bad because it robs people of almost everything. It robs people, obviously, of their health. Literally, things could fall off of you. It robs people of their family. They can't live and stay in their home. It robs them of their home and their place, their job, their livelihood. It robs them of dignity and worth. Just think about this. If, you, if a leper were to come near the community, the, it, they, they would start shouting at those people. They would start shouting, unclean, unclean. And just imagine what that does. For one, if you are the one that has to start shouting that, you have leprosy and you're shouting it, or other people are shouting unclean at you. What does that do to your, to your, to your heart? It's just devastating. One other aspect that is often overlooked is leprosy robs people of being touched. No one comes and gives a hug to a leper. And what does Jesus do? He stretched out his hand and he touched him. Jesus, full of pity for this man, he cares, and he reaches out his hands, and he touches him. Shocking, scandalous, like this is, this is crazy, like who does this? Jesus. Jesus does this. And what we get next is it tells us that it tells us over the course of all that I've just covered, in verse 33, it says the whole city came out after him. Uh, verse 37, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is trying to find you in this. It, we get this here in 45. People were coming from all over the region. People are 
people are flocking to see this Jesus. And in each of these accounts are, are truly fascinating. They're worth your time. Uh, but there's a bigger picture here. There's a bigger picture in all of this. And, and we want to look at it. Jesus is beyond a caricature. And let's, let's just see that for what it is. So the first thing I want to just draw your attention to is that Jesus is more, well, pardon me, Jesus is a healer. And that's the most obvious thing, like, right? I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but the clear takeaway from this passage, the clear unavoidable thing that all of us just have to deal with is that Jesus is, is objectively a healer. And, and this is really important for us. He goes, he moves to the sick, the broken, the, the, the cast out. Jesus is a healer. It isn't just what he does. It's who he is. It's who he is. Notice what it says in, in chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum, remember, he's been going around this whole region. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no, room, no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. He was telling them about the kingdom. He was telling them about all this. The place is packed. Everybody's at the door. Uh, everybody is around, and he's right there in the center of it. And then this happens. Verse 3, and they came. These other people come bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Crazy. And again, Let's not get focused on what the, the four men carrying him in or the, the people who came with this friend. All of that is interesting stuff. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is preaching in the moment, and Jesus is unfazed that the roof is torn off and people start lowering down. Listen, I'm just going to be quite honest. I would be phased. <laughs> I would be very phased. It would be, uh, it would be a moment. In this moment, there's no, like, pre-screening who can get in, who can get out. There's no, like, wonder what's going on, or this is, like, that person we can deal with, this person we can't. There's none of that. These people rip the roof off, drop their friend in, and Jesus is unfazed. He moves right to it. What we see throughout is that before this passage, before this account, during this account, and after every single word of it is that Jesus is a healer. He goes to the sickness. He goes to the brokenness. He goes to the issues. He touches unclean people and makes them clean. This Jesus. And yet far too often, I feel like this, and I'm guessing that many of you feel like this. I feel like I have to clean up to come to Jesus. Hear this, just as clearly as I can say it, there was nothing about the sickness or the sin of these people that caused Jesus to pull away. Not one thing. Which leads me to my second point that all of us have to deal with. This Jesus is more than any of them expected. 
And what I mean by that is like they all had ex- expectations. You and I have expectations. We, we all have them. Expectations just come with the territory of being a human being. Later on, we're going to hear like, wait, isn't this like Jesus of Nazareth? Don't we know him? Didn't we see him grow up? Don't we know his mom and his brothers? And like that kid, that's the one who's doing all this. We know this guy. Like people had expectations of just even where he was from. There's this other aspect of people who are like, could this be Messiah? But Messiah is supposed to be something else. Like, he's supposed to be this conquering superhero type figure. Isn't, like, could this be Messiah? Like, what does that even look like? These people had expectations of a healer. These people uh, certainly uh, thought of him as like, oh, if nothing else, he's a healer and I want to find him. We get it in verse 5. Notice what happens. This man is lowered down. I picture that the, his friends are still up on the roof. Uh, and and here is where Jesus goes. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you didn't grow up in the West, if you didn't grow up in the Bible Belt, maybe, maybe you have heard this, but most people have heard this story at some point. If, if you didn't grow up in the West, you would be shocked by those words right there. That is as far of a zig as you're going to find. Jesus uh, shocked everybody because he's been healing, he's been doing all these things, and he goes directly to this person and he says, I see why you're here. Son, your sins are forgiven. I, can, I just have to imagine the gasps in the room. There are people that were looking for the show, right? They were there for the show. Or, or this person and others in the room were there for relief and begging for relief and rescue. They, they were hoping for a lot of healings. And Jesus looks at this person who cannot walk, can't bring himself here. He is literally brought by others into this spot who is completely broken in body. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And people freak out. See, the, the crowd was drawn to a miracle worker. They were drawn to those who uh, just wanted to, sh- to see something uh, amazing happen in this. And let me just ask here, let's just pause here for just a second and just ask this. Where are your expectations off about Jesus? Where are you expecting Jesus to dazzle when he actually wants to step in and meet you somewhere else. Which leads me straight into my next takeaway. This is number three. Jesus is a healer. He certainly is a healer. He, he exceeds their expectations every turn of it. The third is that this Jesus is far more than just a miracle worker. It's true, he is a miracle worker. It is incredible, but that's not why he's here. He's far more than this. Look at what verse 9 says. He actually goes to him. He can see it. He hears the gasps. He, he knows what is being said, and he goes directly to it. He says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? I, I think I would be like, that's a riddle, isn't it, Jesus? 
Which is easier? Here's something that's really hard for us to understand when we start by reading and looking for ourselves on every page of this Bible. It's really hard for us to understand this. Jesus didn't come to heal every single sickness. He didn't come to change every single circumstance. He came to preach and proclaim the kingdom of God and that you and I need a savior. And he heals and he works. He does all those things and he still does. But to proclaim his rule and authority. And so what we have in here is Jesus showing the kingdom. And here he goes directly to the issue, behind the issue, right? We can all see the paralytic, but he goes directly to the issue behind the issue, is that, friend, you think that your body condition is the biggest, most desperate thing in your life, and you're wrong. Your sin is your biggest and most desperate issue in your life. And Jesus goes directly to that. And so, let me ask this. Maybe your expectations have been off, and, and we're, we're thinking about that a second ago, but where are the places in your life where you're simply going to Jesus for a miracle, and he wants to do so much more? I found this to be true in my own life, that there's so many spots where I, I am just tunnel vision to Jesus, looking for him to ride over this one hill and meet me in this one spot and take care of this one circumstance. And, and I, I keep looking and waiting for Jesus to come over that on, on, and, and fix it. And I'm so fixated on that that I miss how he is already working and has already come around in so many ways. And I miss it. Where are you going to Jesus simply for a miracle when he wants to do so much more in your life? Which leads us to our fourth one, our final thing. Is that this Jesus, right here in this story and right here in our church this morning, Jesus is more than a good example. He's this man and our only hope. He's the only hope for this guy. He's the only hope in these situations. He is the only hope then, and he is our only hope now. Verse 10 tells us this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This Jesus was able to do what medical technology has not been able to do in the 2,000 years since, which is instantly heal someone of paralysis. The man stands up, picks up his, his mat, and goes. And you have to want to know the story after that, right? What happens to this guy? What happens in his life? He doesn't just meet his physical condition or, like the leper, his emotional condition. He actually goes to his spiritual condition and does so much more than this guy could ever have asked. Certainly more than this guy was looking at. He goes right to it. 
that this guy would know, that these people would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. It's not the physical conditions. It's not all those other things. It is our sin and guilt which weigh on us heavier than anything else that we could go through. And our only hope of dealing with them is not being good enough. It is not having enough in your bank account or your retirement. It's not being born into the right family. It isn't even uh, if you have a, a large enough explanation of where the world came from. The only thing that deals with our guilt and sin is another who comes and takes our place. The one who came, he died, and he rose again. And it's only with Jesus where there is hope. And so, as we wrap this up, I just want to ask you, where are your hopes being placed in the wrong things? Where are your hopes being placed in things that could never help? I know people, I have friends that that numb out on alcohol. And they know it's no solution. They just hope it will stop the pain. People that think that they can accrue enough stuff. Like, where is your hope being placed that can never help. And what if this Jesus knows the, knows the worst version of you? And, and just like in these stories, in these accounts, isn't going to turn his back from you. He's actually going to come and meet you right in those spots. What if that Jesus is true? What we see What we see from these accounts and what we can see through history, what we see from the countless testimonies of those who've met and know this Jesus is that he actually comes to the broken. And he meets us. And he steps into it. And so where in your life are you you afraid to reveal too much? Where are you afraid to step into it because you're afraid that, that God wouldn't receive you? That even if you've heard of the leper and the unclean spirits and you've heard of a paralytic, and you're still, where are the spots in your heart in which you, you're afraid God couldn't handle that? And friends, today, I, I just want you to hear that it might be in those very spots where this God wants to meet you and bring healing in your life today. 